Okay, so uh, reckless driving felon. Professional sob instructor. And one of my best friends, Eric Foss. If you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? Heartfelt. Heartburn? Yeah, that too. <laughs> Greasy? Greasy. You know what scares me is that I've stopped smelling the grease. Oh, we now are the grease. Yeah. 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 Like, that makes me afraid we're going to smell this for days. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. And welcome to yet one more episode of Dinner with Racers. I'm Ryan Eversley. I'm Sean Heckman. And uh, this year we took a 25,000 mile trip. Is it all added up? Yep. All across different parts of the United States of America. And while we went to many parts of the country, one of our favorite places in the world is, of course, the great state of Texas. I'm a huge fan of the great state of Texas, and it was exciting for me to be able to sit down with one of my best friends and what I consider to be an older brother of the sport, Eric Foss. Eric Foss. So we were over in Fort Worth, Texas, where Eric has uh, recently moved in the last couple of years. Let's say I don't know anything about Eric. Sell me on Eric Foss. Well, uh, just, a, just a hell of a wheelman. Like, probably the fastest guy in the whole wide world. But he is a uh, runoffs champion. He won the Continental Tire ST Championship against me. So, obviously, he's really, really good. Right, Sean? You with me? And uh, he was the uh, Mazda winner for, I believe, uh, the MX-5 Cup Championship. And uh, now he drives in the uh, GS category with our good friend Jeff Mosing and has been real successful coming off a win this year in the GT4 Mercedes. And just in general, Eric is uh, another one of those sort of classic journeyman driver stories that we like to showcase every now and then of just a guy that's still out there getting it done making a career for himself, even if he's not a household name among some of the other folks that you'll normally hear us with. I was really happy that we were able to get to sit down with Eric because, like I said, he's been a longtime friend of mine, but he's also helped me massively with my driving career, uh, literally instilled some of the techniques in my early days of driving that I still use to this day, and I think about him almost every single race. So having a good friend like that come on the show, big honor for me. He's done jack for me, but I find him funny. <laughs> Yeah, Bo's going to hate this episode, so it's going to be good. So here are some of the things you're going to hear about with Eric Foss. Getting arrested multiple times. No shortage of racing school shenanigans with some of your favorite pros. And meeting your wife because of a sob? So we went out to uh, Fred's Texas Cafe in Fort Worth, Texas. And Ryan, what would you have? I think I had a burger. And a ton of beer. <laughs> like a ton of beer. Yeah, it was, there was some beer. There was a lot of beer. There was some beer drinking. And uh, went in Texas, you know. I had. Don't do a, it. No, I did. Don't I do had. It. I had a. You had a I bowl had, of cereal. I, had, I saw it. I had a chicken sandwich. You had a bowl of cereal. I had a chicken sandwich at Fred's. And I smelled like grease for a week. You did. You uh, did. As did you. <laughs> we, we just all smelled like it. Yeah, but you know what doesn't smell like grease? Huh? This lovely Acura MDX. It we're does driving. not. It smells purely like desperation and shame now. But you know what doesn't smell like anything? Is that Valvoline oil? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's so synthetic and, and, and so pure and rich and, and like good for your car. Uh -huh. And uh, that's why we, uh, that we're big we're big fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But beyond even that. What's that? Is the, uh, the comfortable round tires. Yeah. 
They're round. The black and round ones. The black and round yeah, tires. Yeah, they say continental on them. They got us there. Yes, they did. And they have continued to keep us going. Yeah, just everywhere we go, continental I think it's because tires. of our professional pitches. I think it is because of our awesome intros to podcasts. But once again, they pay us to dance like monkeys. Go! So what kind of tires again? Continental tires. Cross contact. Alex. Did you look it up? No. Oh. Okay. And of course, the final piece of the puzzle is we couldn't uh, we we couldn't have made our way out to Fort Worth, Texas if we didn't have one hell of a driver behind the wheel getting us there. Thank you, Elio Castroneves. Guys, I really gotta pee. I know, me too. Hey, Eric Foss. Meow. All right, we're gonna start in five, four, three, two. Oh, there, here he comes. Okay. There he is. There we go. All right. It's Locked. us. It's over here. Locked and loaded. Eric, in Eric. the corner. What? Hey, Sean, dinner with razors. How <laughs> you guys doing? I've never been here before. You thought you brought me here. Yeah. Where? How far do you live from here? Uh, about four miles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right on. Right so. on. Are we going to smell like this for the rest of the day? Yeah, you know, it, it actually used to never smell this way, but maybe it's because I was always pretty hammered when I was in here. I forgot. <laughs> when was the last time you ate here? Um, it's probably been a good five years or so. Okay, yeah, because, yeah. like, this is, what's it called, Texas? Uh, Fred's Texas Cafe. And it's very heavy on the on the meat based on all the skulls yeah. on the wall. If you're going to imagine, like, what does a Texas diner look like, yeah. it would look like this. So in that yeah. sense, good job. Yeah, no, it's yeah. awesome. Uh, like, this, it's is, awesome. this is what we're looking but for. I know you eat super healthy now. Yeah. <laughs> so this doesn't yeah. line up with what I know about the new Eric Foss. There is a lingering scent of just grease. <laughs> it's just meat of burning. Of just meat burning. <laughs> yeah. And, and bacon grease. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine by me. Yeah. But I know you're on the health kick now. So I was surprised you picked this place. Well, they, they do have portobello tacos. So that's my escape. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what that is? A mushroom taco? Yeah. 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 Yeah, let's get let's get going. I'm out. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Know no, nah, so uh, when I first moved to Fort Worth, I lived about, I mean, literally a stone's throw from here in an apartment complex. Yeah. And none of this area was here. Sure. It was just this little old yeah. cafe. Yeah. And uh, it was really the best burger place in, in all of Fort Worth. I believe that. And yeah. so I uh, came here, had their Diablo burger is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, when it's in season, we have hatch peppers out here in okay. Texas. Yeah. And they're not quite as hot as a jalapeno, but pretty close. Yeah. You get a hatch burger. It's really good. Nice. Um, so we used to come over here, and the beer usually used to come in, like, big, big schooners. I mean, these big mugs. Yeah. And uh, so we would come over here, have a burger, kind of get hammered right before <laughs> I uh, <laughs> would go to a race weekend usually. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to get warmed yeah. up for the weekend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So how far are we from where Saney used to live? Uh, well, so he was about a mile from here. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so that's why this was kind of one of our yeah. go-to places. So and this is this is Jason Saney. Jason Saney who was like part of the same kind of coaching circuit. You guys were all. Yeah. So when and Eric first moved out here, he and Saney were like doing a lot of racing together and stuff like that. And so it kind of that was like your crew out here, right? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, when the whole Panos Racing School ended, which I'm sure we're going to talk oh, about, talk a little about bit. it for hours. There's <laughs> <laughs> too many stories there, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the Roach Motel, man. Someone turned the lights on and we all scattered. Yeah. All the instructors had to figure out something to do. 
And uh, and I was kind of at a point in my life where I needed to change. I was kind of like... When the panto school came to an end. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, at that point, we were all partying and <laughs> I, was, I was a train wreck. We were having a lot of fun. And, uh, yes, we were. We were having were. a lot of fun. <laughs> and Bo uh, had just moved back to Houston, Bo Barfield. And uh, we had been roommates a few years prior to that. And he's like, dude, just, just come on out here. Yeah. Come work with me in yeah. Houston. Uh, moved down to Galveston area mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're on you can be on the beach and, and have a good time and so I was looking heavily at that and then at the same time I started racing in Spec Miata and I got to be friends with uh, Shannon McMasters who uh, owned MER at the time and then Jason Saney had just moved out here to Fort Worth yeah. to help run that program and so they were leveraging really really hard on me to come out here yeah. and honestly I mean <laughs> It probably was part of that, like, I would come out here for a week or two at a time and stay with Jason and yeah. Julianne, and uh, we partied a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it made it really, really easy. Yeah, because I remember I came out for your wedding, Yeah, and that had to have been somewhere nearby, right? Because I, st- was it, yeah. was it no, that Montgomery I, Hotel or something? It was like uh, a cool old hotel that we stayed at. Where did we stay? I think we stayed at the Sheraton downtown, but it was like maybe some other name on it. Yeah, it was like some old building that had been converted or whatever. But I remember we went to Saney's place afterwards, which wasn't too far away, and got, I barely remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the awesome thing about Fort Worth is like it's really small. So uh, I guess we'll start at the beginning of, of you and my, you know, knowing each other, which wasn't my remembrance of it. Because I remember when we, when I first met you, from my memory, it was the Pano School, yeah, doing, doing the skid pad. Yeah, I was a student, and you were the instructor. And <laughs> I tell people the story all the time, but we're doing the skid pad, and it was like an Audi TT, I think, like a front wheel drive yep. TT. Yep. And we're driving around, and you're not saying anything, and I'm just driving in a circle, and I'm driving in a circle, and you haven't said anything for like a minute. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm not. There's nothing happening. And then he's like, Eric goes, uh, so your mom taught me how to gamble in Reno, and I was like, what? And he pulls the handbrake. And we go firing off the skid pad, bigger than I've ever seen anybody fire off the skid pad. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? And you had apparently worked at the Lotus program, which would have been like today's world challenge with, yeah. with my dad. And they did a street race at Reno, I think. Is that what it was? Yeah, or? it was in the parking lot at like the Harris or yeah. something out there. Yeah. And, and so uh, you guys went gambling one night and she taught you like how to play I can't remember what it was, like backgammon or something you were telling me. It was roulette. And roulette, it, it was right. It was all about just maximizing your odds. It was red and black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she had the simple rule of if you saw that thing hit red yeah. three times in a row, then you played black. Yeah, right. Or if you saw vice versa, uh, it would uh, – yeah, and, and if it was vice versa, you played the other. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I had just turned 21 when I was working at Lotus. Yeah. And I uh, was there working with your dad, which, by the way, he was the only guy that was actually nice to me there. Um, <laughs> well, because he was using all the good stuff at you, on you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got the <laughs> of the deal at home. <laughs> yeah, it was really a bizarre situation. We were based out of Lotus Cars USA. Yeah. And uh, we had the, the race team there, but we also did performance conversions on – on Lotuses, and honestly, in the end, what happened is I ended up always doing the shit work on the cars. <laughs> um, it took me, yeah, well, one, I, I'm not a good mechanic, but I mean, <laughs> I tried to use that as my path to get into motorsport. Right. I always ended up being the gopher, but um, yeah, no, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a cool time because I just started racing club racing, and Doc Bundy, um, you know, was running that Lotus, and my dad was doing the graphics for that team. Mm-hmm. And so he thought it would be great for me to come meet Doc and, and kind of get a little mentoring from Doc. Yeah. 
And uh, I'll never forget the first time I went there, Doc like sits me down and I'm ready for all the secrets to be a fast race car driver, right? Yeah, yeah. And he tells me about the social part of motorsport yeah. and going through the paddock, making sure you're you're nice and clean, you're nice to everyone, yeah. which I struggle with all that stuff still, but um, <laughs> it was the best advice he could ever give. Yeah. And of course I'm 21 and I just blow it off. But, uh, you knew better already. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Right. And we all did. And uh, yeah. so at the end of the deal, he goes, by the way, do you need a job? And so I felt like it was a con to get me to come work for him. Yeah, right. Right. Um, In racing. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your grandfather worked in Michigan, correct? In the car world, but your dad was is was was a graphic designer, but not necessarily a car guy in the same way that a lot of people come from racing families. Uh, somewhat. Uh, my my grandfather was an engineer at GM for right. 45 years, so I grew up in the Detroit area, and my dad and uncle got the bug when they were really little, and they're twins. Okay. And they would steal my grandfather's car uh, when they were like 13, 14 years nice. old. And he was an engineer, right? So he would right. like mark everything on the car, on the wheels, and uh, take the Speedo off and all that. And he had a Corvair, and they would figure out how to steal it and then jack it up and put everything back to straight. Oh, so full-on Ferris Bueller. He would come home and know that they, they took the car, but right. he could never bust them because everything was where it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they, uh, they were really into it, and they uh, both had Opal street cars that they bought when they were, like, 19 and would race at a local track in Detroit area, Waterford Hills. It's an awesome little road course. It's 1.6 miles uh, which sounds like Lime Rock, but it's the opposite. It's super tight. It's like an autocross course. But um, so my dad raced until I was like four years old. And so I was exposed to it that way. But my dad was a graphic artist and uh, he, he continued on, uh, you know, with the sport in terms of just doing uh, graphics for Roush and McLaren North America. Cool. Yeah, a lot um, of money in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All these teams uh, in the Detroit area. And then uh, my uncle, uh, he branched off into the tire side of things, and he started with own, and then uh, he got this job at Hoosier in, like, 1983, and uh, they were completely just oval track tires at that point. And Bob Newton that owned it was like, hey, I, I want to get into road racing, and, you know, I want you to come do this. And so my uncle was the first guy to come in and start Hoosier's road race program. So I grew up around it. I mean, right. I, I was immersed in it. They took me to the races all the time. And I mean, if you were four, I'm guessing you f***ed it up then. Yeah. <laughs> no? Yeah, no. I'm, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Uncle Bruce, who still works for, I guess, Continental technically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which we big fans of them. Of course. Uh, still, still a guy you see in the paddock all the time. So like the Foss name in motorsports has been around for a while, especially in the Atlanta area. Because um, you've been there while well, you were there when I first met you, and you were there until when, when did you go out here? Like 2000? Yeah, so we moved to Atlanta in 88 yeah. from Detroit, yeah. and uh, so I was there for exactly 20 years. Yeah. I yeah. uh, moved to Dallas Fort Worth at the start of 08. Yeah. So you do the Lotus thing. How do you end up getting the Panos instructing job? That's actually a pretty funny story. So I'm uh, involved in the motorsport thing. I was club racing at the time, and actually the Lotus team was absorbed by Don Panos. So when Don Panos decided he wanted to get into sports car racing, he actually, the, the Lotus team was kind of folding. He yep. bought everything, all the, everyone, all the personnel, yep. the whole deal. Yep. And so he was interviewing everyone. And um, he told me, he asked me what I was doing, things I did on the side. And I told him, well, I'm club racing. I want to be a driver, right? And uh, he goes, well, then you can't work for, uh, work for my team. I need someone that's 100% committed to our program. And you're how old? Uh, I was 22 okay. at that point. Yeah. yeah. And so I um, was like, all right, fine. And so, 
I, I didn't take the job there. And uh, I had a, a different job, and at that point I had met a guy that uh, wanted to do a pro race at Red Atlanta. So it was 1997 at this point. Yeah. And he had bought this Chevy Beretta GTZ. Totally awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the worst handling car I had driven. <laughs> and at this point, you're not a known driver. You're just this kid that's, like, renting where you can or doing the occasional club race where you can. Right. Like, it's not like you're filled with money that you can go out and do this for fun. Right. No right. background in karting or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah no yeah, no yeah. karting. Um, and, and really, honestly, totally naive to what the whole thing was really about in the in the pro side of it or what it really took for the sport but uh, so this guy's like hey if you come wrench on my car we'll do the the pro sports car race which is now imsa it was really what's now pilot challenge yeah. or that other whatever what used to be continental, yeah. continental tire no we still call it continental tire on this show yeah. good yeah. awesome yeah we're so actually gonna have to bleep the other thing you said yeah <laughs> so it was really what was continental tire challenge yeah and um so I wrenched on this guy's car for like two weeks beforehand and we go and we do the race and it was up and down, but, uh, actually had a decent result. And I met Petey Cunningham mm -hmm. and some mm -hmm. of the other guys there. And of course they're all like, Hey, you should come run with us. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I'm going to get this big opportunity. And, uh, <laughs> then they send me like, or they tell me over the phone, they're like, I'll give you a smoking deal for next year. You can come run with us in world challenge. It'll be a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, Wait, you're gonna pay me? You're gonna hundred thousand? <laughs> yes. What? What do you mean? <laughs> so, that's just when I got the first reality of yeah. how expensive how this works, yes. how it works, yeah. yeah, yeah, and how no one gives a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like you hey. could be renting that's cool, but right. that doesn't mean a damn right. thing in terms of bottom line, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and I, and then I wasn't getting paid. So at that right. point, I actually within a couple of weeks got a phone call from Jeff Perner at the Road Atlanta School. And I guess, I mean, just always working angles and that, mm -hmm. and that I was respectable maybe, I don't know, yeah. in that race. But yeah. whatever it was, there was enough interest there where my name had gotten the hat to be an instructor. Yeah. So I go in and I interview with them. And I remember sitting there with Jeff Perner and Jeff Robillard, the two guys that ran the... Roby. The, it was really the Road Atlanta Racing School at yeah. that point. It was just about to become the Panos Racing School. Yeah. And they're like, so what's your goal? And I was like, to work here yeah. full time. Yeah. like. And they started laughing. They're like, yeah, you, you, one, we don't pay enough for you to work here full time. <laughs> and two, that's just really not going to happen. Yeah. And they're like, we'll give you $150 a day to come work. And I'm thinking, holy shit, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, in. These guys don't know what they got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I like go all in and I'm, I'm working like at an auto parts store at the same time. But, you know, I'm just one foot out the door. Yeah. And uh, just uh, basically any last second thing, if I got a phone call, I was totally available. And by doing that, that really helped me kind of just get into the program. And Joe Foster was the lead instructor there. And, uh, you know, he's actually a really nice guy, but he always liked to kind of work you over. And so I always, he made me feel like I was indebted to him every time, but he would always take care of me. So it was, it was kind of a love hate. I know I would get so mad at him sometimes and really give him a lot of but in the end, he, he really was a huge help for me, and he really helped me establish myself as yeah. a, an instructor at the school there. Yeah, the talk around the Brazelton area was that there's this guy named Eric Foss, and he's got this crazy Honda Civic, and he's put, like, I remember at one point it had, like, grown into, like, an NSX motor is what people were saying. You know what I mean? But I think it was, wasn't, like, an Integra GSR or something that you would put a cam on or something like that? It, it literally was a stock Integra GSR motor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't anything super special. Right. But, but you, like, basically built this awesome track car. And the, the talk about you was that you would go out on track days, which is, like, you know, basically, like, you know, chin 
track days they do now and stuff like that, but we had our own at Road Atlanta, and you would hound people in this little Civic that were in Ferraris, Vipers, Porsches, it didn't matter, and then you just destroy them, and then they'd come over and say, man, that car's really fast, and you're like, yeah, but I also know how to drive, and you would try to get coaching work from that, and that, that was like what I knew about you, is that you were the fastest guy at Road Atlanta, but it was also because you had an NSX-powered Civic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably the best story about that car is right after I built it, uh, a guy, Zach Zarkadoulis, God rest his soul, yeah. he was a great guy. He uh, he was actually a customer of ours at Lotus. Yeah. He would do some coaching, and uh, he had Marshall Field. So Marshall Field, the, the department stores. Mm-hmm. And Marshall Field had just got a 935 K3. Yeah. And honestly, like my racing career has been awesome, but the one thing I haven't done is drive a 935 K3. And yeah. growing up at yeah. Mid-Ohio, actually, uh, my dad would take me to Mid-Ohio watching those cars race. I just fell in love with them. I thought they were the coolest thing. Yeah. So Zach told Marshall that I wanted to drive the 935 K3. Yeah. And he goes, oh, isn't it that kid with that Civic? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He goes, well, tell you what, I'm bringing my F40 down. And if that guy can pass me oh, my F40 just, and his just that Civic. With your Civic. Yeah, yeah. Then he can drive my 935 K3. Okay. Yeah. It's still on YouTube. Someone somehow videotaped what? it. But <laughs> with a handheld with a tape in the side of it. Yeah, yeah. it's on yeah. it's a, it starts at turn eleven. Yeah. But if you go on YouTube and look up Civic versus Ferrari or something <laughs> like that, you will see this little red Honda Civic pop under the bridge behind an F forty, yeah. goes down into turn twelve and late breaks them <laughs> into turn one <laughs> and passes them. Mind you it was a track day. Right, right. Yeah. So I passed him and that guy still never let me drive his 935. <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, probably because, like, his shock package wasn't you together know, right. Like, I hadn't, and, like, the tires weren't up to pressure yet. And, like, it's kind of bull because I didn't point you by, but you went anyway. <laughs> so I was letting you have it because I wanted to, like, get a clear lap, and you were on my mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I was going to say I thought the best story about that car was when you got arrested. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that got me out of doing crazy street cars. That's why to this day I don't own a fast street car. <laughs> Go on. So. Yeah, about to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what's called deflection yeah. here in the media. Yeah. Uh, uh, what? The problem is the qui- the answer is, or the real question is, which time? Oh, I didn't know. I, I, the night <laughs> you right. spent. How about Start the time the you spent the night in jail? Which time? <laughs> Jesus, man. I didn't know there was a second time. There were two times in that car. Okay. Yes. All right. Well. So north of Atlanta, they used to do a little meetup thing. They still do it. It was at the Big Chicken. Yeah. And uh, everyone would show up there. Supras, RX Tavins. Remind you, this was all like late '90s, yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. Right. Um, so basically, like what we now call sideshows. Yeah. <laughs> where just people just randomly congregate and you yeah. do dumb. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. yeah. But it was a thing that they did at every. And I can't remember if it was Thursday nights, whatever. So. Yeah. The Big Chicken in Atlanta is like a KFC that has this massive. I think they just took it down or something, or they just redid it. But basically, it's like this like three-story tall, squarish, cartoonish-looking chicken made out of wood. And it's like a it's a landmark in Atlanta. Like right. literally, you listen to a commercial for like a jewelry store, and it's like left on to whatever, turn left at the Big Chicken. So that would definitely be a place that there'd be like a hangout. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. It, so it, yeah, every Thursday, the car people of that area meet up. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so. I would never go up there, and my brother's like, come on, we got to go up there. Little Foss, little as, we, Foss. as we call him. Yeah, yeah. Little Foss. I'm sure yeah. we'll have some Little Foss stories. Oh, yeah. So Little Foss go, and my buddy from high school, Durham, so we go up there. We're hanging out. We're doing the whole deal. You know, I'd just done the engine swap and everything, and the car was pretty fast for what it was. And so we're leaving there, and sure enough, we get to a stoplight, and there's a super turbo sitting there. <laughs> and my brother's egging me on. 
come on, you got to go. And so we take off from the slight, and the guy in the Supra, of course, doesn't go. So the car was so quick, though, I, like, get out of it. But there's the local cops. Just wait. Yeah, yeah. They got me. Yeah. And But going to jail, though, that's, like, that's a bit much. Yeah, so... <laughs> It was like 83 and a 45 <laughs> or something. Yeah. I mean, it was a fast car. It didn't take yeah. long to get there. It's kind of like the new cars are where it's like you get in it and then you're like, oh, I'm going way too fast. Yeah, right. right? right. Anything new is that yeah. way. Well, I'm sure you fast. were also driving it, though. Yeah. yeah. Right. The car didn't just go 80 on its own in a 45. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, that was a thing, right? It's like go. And by the time you even realize the guy's not going, the thing was doing 80 miles an hour. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that was fun because uh, I go to jail. <laughs> and my brother and my best friend are there. And rather than bail me out, they call my, at the time, fiance, my first, what became my first wife. And she comes to bail me out. So that made for a long car ride home. That, and, and that was the other thing. I lived out in east, northeast Atlanta. And this was like north Atlanta. So it was like an hour from my house. So, yeah, at 3 a.m., that was, that was not a lot of fun. Um, and was she already not on board with the dumb car stuff? You know, actually... Coincidentally, she ended up being the office manager at Panos Motorsport, and she got that job because she actually had a good rapport with Don Panos because she had worked at the Chateau Alain. So ah, okay. It was all coincidental that we ended up both working yeah, for right. the, the Panos Network kind of deal. It was kind of funny. Um, so she was into racing. She, she uh, actually still goes to Petite every year, I think, and that, but I, I don't usually see her. Yeah, yeah, sure. She's finally got to where it's cordial. Um, <laughs> Dig. <laughs> no, no, it's Burn. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, um, but uh, I guess the story you're probably looking for is the second time. Yes, yes. that's the one I'm aware of. The second time, uh, I uh, actually was just getting separated from her, <laughs> and I uh, was moving in with Bo, yeah. and I had all my stuff in the car, yeah. and I'd stop by this little tuner shop in Gainesville, which is just north of Road Atlanta. And there was a kid interested in my car. So I leave the parking lot and I take off. And there was a Taco Bell next door. And as I took off, apparently there was a Hall County Sheriff sitting in the Taco Bell. And yeah. he sees me go speeding by. And as he pulls out, I see him. So I check up, pull in the first parking lot available. And he Thinking pulls if up. if I make it easy for him, yeah, this will yeah, right. help my case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I and get I'm, this. Man. I'm just like, you know, hands on the wheel, the whole deal. He pulls yeah. up behind me. And the first thing I hear is, get out of the car. And I'm like, oh, oh not yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> so, sure enough. You I'm sure like, you just don't want license and registration? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get out. I'm pleading my case already. I'm like, why are you making me get out of the car? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what, what speed do you have me going? Yeah. I'm a He's citizen like, of the world, sir. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. you can't arrest me because I'm not, yeah. I'm traveling. I'm traveling. <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, I later found out at the police station that he was the worst guy I could have had pull me over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was that guy, okay. the one that just no matter what, you're the worst person yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I have, like, all my stuff in the car, so I have, like, my PlayStation. <laughs> and, you know, video games are important. All the important yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so he's asking where I got it, though. Like, yeah. everything's going to be hot. It's in the car. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, man, this is so not going the right way. He's, like, excited. He's got a big bust. You took down a you know a guy that's been knocking off high five buys or something. Yeah. yeah. So I I get in there, I get booked, and the whole thing. And so I'm sitting in the jail cell, just like in complete misery. Call my mom, like please come get me. You know, <laughs> uh, somebody just come get me. And where does mom live? Uh, she lived up north in Cumming, which is about okay, not too far. Yeah, yeah like yeah, 25 yeah. minutes from yeah. there, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, so as I'm sitting there, 
it's getting late and everyone's drunk in the tank, right? And I'm just like the only sober guy. I'm actually, I think, wearing my Panos Racing School shirt too because I'd worked that day. And <laughs> that usually goes well with the sheriff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. I'm a racer. I'm a professional, sir. Yeah. That's probably where the problem really was. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I remember sitting there and this guy, and I can't even do it with this heavy Georgia accent. It's like, what are you in here for? Yeah. And I was like, uh, driving too fast. I said, how about you? He's like, beating up my wife and when i get out i'm gonna kill her (laughs) and i'm like well i guess i deserve this somewhere (laughs) somehow (laughs) well if you need a getaway driver yeah exactly here's my card yeah it's an it's an nsx powered civic yeah yeah and the final kick in the nuts on that one was uh my family decided it'd be best for me to try and work things out with my ex so they called her to come bail me out oh so uh, that's her problem did they think she'd be like the stabilizing force i had no idea what they were thinking there they were just (laughs) yeah yeah so good times. yeah Yeah. so thanks for bringing up those memories oh we got plenty more yeah so um (laughs) yeah no i uh that 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 was the first story i heard about you is that you had this crazy civic you used to beat the snot out of people at road atlanta and that's how you like made a name for yourself but also you went to jail for it yeah (laughs) And I was like, I got to meet this guy. And then when we were doing the school, like we do hot laps, hot laps at Panos, (laughs) as you start laughing, hot laps at the Panos racing school was like GT4 qualifying right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause it was, everybody was good. It was Joe Foster, Charles Espinlob, Andrew Davis, you, Gunner, uh, Joe Fox. Like it just went on and on. And it literally was like qualifying and it became like, you had to do a good job or they might not let you do hot laps because like at the on the second day of a school you take the students for laps or if it's a corporate function at the end of the day we would take them for hot laps and we try to race and make it exciting and fun but if you got dropped it was like obvious you know yeah that was kind of our goal too if, <laughs> if foster brought someone in that we didn't like we just abused the <laughs> out of them on hot laps right. made them look like a fool and yeah then, and a lot of time i mean we would get new guys that were decent and i can't remember some of the names but i remember people spinning and putting cars in the yeah. gravel trap yeah when we have customers in the car yeah right right doing not laps yeah i feel like our whole goal at panos was if we knew someone wasn't watching from the office <laughs> we were gonna see what we could get away with right, yeah, right. I get that. for sure being able to just jump in the cars and do laps and i mean one guy we left out is lazaro mm, he was there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh when anthony came they really started working on setup stuff yeah, making the cars better and yeah. again because i was one of the only guys at, at, later on i was still the only guy there that hadn't figured out how to work a ride <laughs> and so i uh, was there all the time but that meant i got to help develop the cars as we kept moving forward and we actually were on a slick tire yeah, on with, those cars with the race series cars yeah with yeah, the race yeah. series cars yeah. so like you were getting to drive on a modern slick and that and work on a car that yeah it was heavy but it, it was really good and it was super helpful because the cars really didn't communicate well they were heavy they had power steering it was a mustang engine mustang steering rack and uh, they were, you know, non-ABS, and we had to set them up so people wouldn't hurt themselves. So they were front biased on the braking and that. So it took a lot to kind of learn how to drive them well and get comfortable with them. But getting to work with all those guys and you guys, it was like a huge help in my career. And yeah. I did so many stupid things there <laughs> that I feel like that really helped me when I finally got my opportunity. Well, to that point, like you see this a lot with in L.A. with, say, actors who will join like a community theater, yeah. like an acting school. Half of the experience to me is that you're around other actors. So you just kind of get the culture of what it takes. And I assume with the, with yeah. the driving school, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. When you have the talent of drivers we had at the racing school, yeah. it, it was like not only were you immersed with people that did it, but like because we were doing data, we had data analysis in the cars as early as 98. 
um, getting to see the data of the other guys, I like that's why I latched onto it. And I mean, right now, and really the last 10 years, my biggest business has been coaching. I, the driving thing, like I love driving, right? That's what everyone wants to do. And that, that's a great part of it. But my business model has been, how do I coach? And how do I coach until I can't coach yeah, right, right. and make my money from the business that way? Like the driving part, it, again, is, you know, a bonus. I'd in, say in for you, opinion. it kind of like solidifies your reputation. You know, say, I, like, I would assume that the kind of cachet of being a pro driver, that helps validate that yeah you exactly can coach, yeah you know <laughs> i think there are people that can coach that aren't very good drivers yeah sure. but i always wonder that if they're always going to get the last little bit sure. for someone because the they, they may can. not if they can't do it they may not fully understand well, yeah. It. Yeah. the other thing is like it's it's racing now my experience in racing is there's sometimes egos well no but where i'm going with that is like right. as a guy if i'm a wealthy guy who's going to pay even let's, we'll use lally as an example because he's somebody we can easily <laughs> on um <laughs> He's actually a good coach, but if he was terrible, right, you might still hire him because he's this Andy guy Lally. that has a million Rolexes, exactly. yeah, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. he yeah. could be a terrible coach. But the fact that oh, Andy Lally is my guy, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so you need to keep validating your existence as a as a resume, so to speak. Yeah, I, I'm I for sure. I mean, I remember I had worked at the Porsche school for years. And uh, when I first moved out here, you know, I was working for MER, but I didn't have a lot of coaching gigs. And so I would hang out at the local track and hand out my business mm -hmm. cards. And yeah. I'd approach all the guys with Porsches and be like, hey, I was an instructor at the Porsche school. Yeah. And I currently was at that point. Yeah. And my return was like zero on yeah. that. And at the time, the Porsche instructors are Hurley Haywood, Andrew Davis. Like, they're all like name, name guys that were doing it. Like, yeah. Jack Baldwin was there yeah. for a while and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And they were all currently racing Porsches. So, but kid you not. The first Rolex race I did in that GT3 Cup car yeah. in 2011, shortly after that, it was like, oh, yeah. hey, I'll have you yeah. coach me. So as right. soon as yeah, people yeah. saw I could drive up. a Porsche, quote unquote, right. then uh, the coaching business took off. But, you know, and that's how it is. I, I picked up a bunch of BMW business when I raced the BMW and ST. Yeah. And then I did start getting a lot of Boxster and Cayman business yeah. when yeah. I, we went to the Cayman platform. Um, don't get much Mercedes business now. But <laughs> <laughs> probably because I haven't with... had a good result in that car. <laughs> that might be the problem. <laughs> so one of my things about you, Eric, that I love is that you admit your faults. Like you're very open and, and honest about things. And you, you would literally say, like, I'm getting bitter. Or I've got a chip on my shoulder. And i got to figure this shit out. And one of the notes I have written down is the Mazda rebirth of Eric Foss. Because you were basically just working at the school and doing some coaching here and there and like not really driving a whole lot and all of us are like this guy's the fastest guy in the world why is he not in cars you know and obviously my my travel through the sport was like completely different from yours and so as you started to get opportunities and get success and it, like everyone's like man this guy's really fast and everybody at the racing school is like yeah we know we've known for like the last 10 years because the guy's as good as any of us no question um well so let's set a timeline though so like mid late 2000s you're at the Pano school you're coaching, you're making a living doing this, but you're not really racing the way you had intended. Right. And uh, so then, to yes. Ryan's point, everyone in the school knows that you can drive a race yeah, car. Like, and you're how old? Oh, geez. Uh, even at that point, I was in my early 30s. Yeah. Like right. 32, well, that's 33, and that's yeah. kind of, but that's why I asked, yeah. because like, you're not a 17-year-old karting stud. Right. Like, you're now in your 30s, which is the other end of the yeah. age spectrum. And you're, you're I, I don't mean to say this and sound like a head, but no. you're just coaching. Yeah. You know, and, and at 30, you're going to start second guessing your life at that point. Being like, is this really what I want? Because I'm not a racing driver the way I want to be. Okay. So tell me about the depression. Now go. Yeah. yeah. So no, at that point, what was your rock bottom? <laughs> That's our new bit. What was your rock bottom? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the one thing about the school is it could get very toxic there too, because you had a lot of people in that situation where they weren't getting the rides they thought they should be getting. <clears throat> and so when you hung out with people like that, and I mean, here's the deal, like Bo Barfield, he's awesome guy. I've uh, been friends with him for, geez, like 30 years now. And um, he, uh, he quit racing early on, but you could tell he always wondered like if he had kept going what would happen and so he had this very pessimistic outlook on being a, a professional driver right quote unquote and he um so hanging around guys like him and others I felt like I started to get in that funk and just pretty negative and so I feel like probably part of the delay on me getting opportunities was I I think we're all more transparent than we think we are <laughs> and so I'm sure that there was there was some of that going on where I probably looked a little desperate and I probably seemed a little bitter because I would go to a world challenge race or we would have like before world challenge weekends, we would have people show up at the school that were yeah. competing yeah. They and they would learn Road Atlanta or Mossport or Sebring get the yeah. extra seat time. Exactly. And they would come in and they would work with us and you would look at their data and you'd be like, that guy's terrible. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't that he was terrible because no, you know. just say it was terrible. It's but, fine. Don't sugarcoat but, this. I know you. <laughs> and so, you would see that and then you'd get more frustrated. But yeah. the reality is like, yeah. it, I didn't understand how much it, the money part really mattered and getting the, the situation where someone really wants you to be there. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. And, and so to kind of spell that out, if that, that potential wealthy co-driver, the Mark shows yeah. up to go out and, and race, you're progressively more bitter attitude is rubbing off and you don't even know it. Yeah. yeah. So no one's yeah. thinking that's the guy I want with me. Well, that and also, like, let's say it was a year that Andrew didn't have a ride. So now I'm competing with Andrew Davis, yeah, right. who has, you know, a pretty good resume at that point even. And it's like, so I'm, I'm just the bottom guy. So, which is kind of ironic because that's what got me the Mazda deal. Because one of the, the students there um, was like, hey, I want you to come drive this Miata with me. And he's like, let's go do a 12-hour race. And so I did it. And we brought Espen Love along because we were good buddies. And Charles knew the cars really well. And Espen Lob at that point, like he helped me quite a bit, but that's what showed me that maybe I do have an opportunity with this Mazda stuff. And that's why I worked that angle yeah. of getting into doing the Mazda program. And Charles was really integral in, the, in that whole ladder system that they had set up. Mm -hmm. And once he knew that was coming, he really pushed me to try and head that direction. Right. And so I really, you know, have to be grateful for him pushing on me hard and showing me that there was going to be an opportunity there that I could take advantage of. Right. So when did you decide you're going to build your own spec Miata in your garage at your house? I really decided I was going to do that in 01, which was the first time I drove one. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't really come to fruition until 05. Uh -huh. And uh, so, yeah, I, I conned my brother and Lil <laughs> Foss into splitting this race car with me, which yeah. he, he drove like once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, screwing your friends over yeah. Yeah, there we go yeah, yeah, starting. that's real now yeah. I started to learn what it was really all about <laughs> you're like oh I get it now yeah. <laughs> just be horrible done yeah. Um, but yeah so I, I just saw that as an opportunity and we we decided you know what let's take a stab at this and, and do it and we honestly when we very first started building it our intent was to do some endurance racing with it but literally within two months of us uh, starting the build on the car they announced that Spec Miata was going to go national and that the ladder was going to actually happen because i mean charles had mentioned it but it wasn't like a given deal that that was going to happen and i'm pretty sure anyone listening to this knows this but when you say spec miata it's the equivalent of like mx5 cup now um mx5 cup was something they started in 06 that uh was with the newer model cars right and that was a pro only series yeah, yeah. i see okay yeah and but so if you won the runoffs 
you got in Miata. In, in the yeah. Miata, you then got an opportunity, or you got sponsorship to do MX5 Cup, right? Correct. And yeah. so that was your plan. So yeah. you went to the runoffs. How'd that go? Yeah, my first year at the runoffs, uh, it was me, my brother, and my sister. And uh, we, it was the three of us, took the car out there. And, uh, you know, I built this car, and I'm very black and white, mm -hmm. right, by the rules. So I built this car that was, like, the uh -huh. best of everything that uh -huh. I thought you could do. <laughs> and uh, I get there. Kids, pay attention to that. I qualify, like, 17th. Because you're not cheated up. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, it's not optimized, as I like to call it. <laughs> Smokey, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so... Ultimately, uh, it does rain before the race, so I, so I ended up finishing fifth. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty good run for my first runoffs. But I remember leaving there and being like, wow, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Like, right. I know driving at this point. I've been racing at the school. I know data stuff. But when it came to, like, and I felt like the car setup wasn't terrible, but when it came to, like, just optimizing the car, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Quote with that. fingers, optimizing the car. Yes. The reality is, actually, you've got a lot of guys now that are, are just building cookie-cutter cars that are competitive. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be gray area stuff in race cars, right? I mean, that's yeah. the reality in any, any part of the sport. But I feel like back then it wasn't really a lot different. It was just fewer guys had figured it out so right. there was bigger disparity right. in the cars yeah yeah so the next year someone else gives you a car or what was the deal there it actually was two years later so the next year i actually did have a really good car and mm -hmm. i but my car was an early generation so it was a 1.6 liter car okay. and the later cars were 1.8 liter and so they were always they had bop <laughs> um they always were trying to <laughs> to you know equalize the cars right. and it just so happened it was at um topeka in Kansas where they, we were doing the runoffs and it was a real tight twisty track with mm -hmm. a lot of second third gear acceleration and the one eight cars had actually a different final drive uh, ratio so they had taller gearing mm -hmm. which helped them get out of a lot of the corners because in the one six cars we'd have to shift a third while we were still yeah. turning the car yeah so I was you know I'm starting to sound like some other people we've had on the show yeah. I was the quickest one six car yeah so Johnny O'Connell shows up yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well, I wasn't going to name him um, <laughs> Who are you right now? What are you doing? <laughs> but point being is like I, I was qualified third behind two 1.8 cars, and uh, I felt like we had a great car. But in the race, it was like all I could do to hang on to them. I actually ended up breaking the throttle plate because I was pushing the gas pedal so hard uh, a few laps from the end. So that point, it's like, all right, this sucks. And I sold my car, at, but I knew I had an opportunity for 08. So 2008, I had worked on a deal to run an MX-5 Cup. And then, coincidentally, the car that finished second at the runoffs the year before, uh, Team Safe Racer, they approached me and they said, hey, we'd love to have you run our car in Spec Miata. So in 08, I actually ran both Spec Miata and MX-5 Cup. And uh, in Spec Miata, I actually got to keep any of the prize money. So I was actually making a couple hundred bucks a weekend with, oh, in my. the end with the prize money. But it wasn't like you could just show up and drive. You were an integrated part of that program so you were working your ass off yeah, I was coaching because right? it was guys. like a multi-car program so it's yeah. like you can drive but here's the trade-off yeah. you're going to have to coach these other six cars and whatever yeah. the hell you had to do yeah. yeah so I did that both with Safe Racer they had like three cars on their team right. and then I did that at MER which we had some weekends where we had like 12 cars mm -hmm. in the MX-5 Cup team so yeah you get to drive but you're pretty goddamn distracted yeah yeah. but I, I kind of like it that way honestly <laughs> no I get that <laughs> can't overanalyze stuff right um so yeah, you can think yourself into going slower, basically. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I think a lot of drivers do that to, yeah. this, to this day. So the data, I mean, it's like it's so great. But if you really get caught up in it, you can just screw yourself over thinking, oh, I need to do this, that and the other. 
But um, so yeah, that's what really, I think you're fishing for 08 and 08 was the year where everything just came together. And that's right when I moved here to Fort Worth. Uh, also same time frame. I mean, it was just a good period of life. I'm at, uh, Tila. Tila. Yep. yep. My wife, she was living in Dallas. Uh, she actually came through a driving school at Road Atlanta. That's on, that's on my list. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll get back to yeah. that one. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do go vegetarian. Um, a lot of things, a lot of life changing events in 08. Mm-hmm. So it was looking back, obviously like a pretty pivotal point in my life. Yeah. Um, just with the health, health change and, and focusing really on making sure that the, I knew this was kind of a one-off deal, right? I don't have the money in the bank that if I don't make good on this uh, MX-5 cup thing and the spec me thing that I'm going to be able to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know that this is the last chance. And after that, it's really going to be looking at working at Burger King or something. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Back to the, uh, the part store you worked at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're also old enough to know that this is it because the, the thing I keep going back to is that you're a, you know, you grew up in a car family. You're a lifelong want to be racer. Right. But it's not until your 30s that those opportunities came. So for, you know, 15 years, yep. you're not a kid from karting. You didn't have millions of dollars. So you went for like a decade working at racing schools to finally get an opportunity, not in the big leagues, to get an opportunity in Miata Cup and right. then MX-5 yeah. Cup. Like right. it wasn't yeah. like you were 33 and okay, now here's your big shot. You're going to go run the Daytona 24. It's like, right. no, no. Right. Let's hope you do well at the runoffs, like 33-year-old. Let's see how this goes. (laughs) And that's the thing that I respect is that you, even at 25, yeah, you got, you you got bitter at at a certain point, but you kept at it. And, and, and now you're on dinner with racers. So it's pretty big. You've made it. Um, (laughs) But that, that's honestly the thing that, that, that I admire is that it, at no point did you just walk away and work in an auto port store. It, Even it was, in your 30s. It was tough to not do that. I mean, right. there were several times where I thought about walking away. I mean, I considered moving to San Diego at one point, and uh, I knew if I moved there that the whole racing thing yeah. was done completely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but that's the thing in life, right? Sometimes you got to take the gamble. And it, to me, even if I hadn't made it at that point, I think I would have been somewhat satisfied because I knew that at, at that point it was on me, right? I got sure. my sh- my chance. I got my shot to do it. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it just obviously all worked out. Yeah. And, uh, but it's know. just, it's easy when you're 19 to say like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Right. I'm going to commit my life to this. But then you turn 25 <laughs> and you start seeing every, and you start seeing other 25 year old friends who went to college or who, you know, took a very stable path, have nice cars or get married or buy houses. And you start looking at going, I don't know if this is really the right call. And then you still stuck with it another, another several know. years. I also say so. that you saw guys that had huge opportunities that, that you petered out and then yeah. didn't go anywhere. So it's like, man, even if I get an opportunity, I got to make yeah. it last. Jim Taffel just may never pay a bill. Right. 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 Or Tracy <laughs> Cronwhite beside Nick Johnson's better than Joe Fox. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, we saw that. Happen. I don't know how yeah. he figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that, I, I think about a lot. I'm like, man, even if I get one of these guys, I have to like. They keep, go away. Keep them because yeah. they might go somewhere else or just yeah. leave. You yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, at, at some point. <clears throat> I just feel like that's where learning about the the social spar- part of the sport and just how finding out what's important to everyone. Mm-hmm. To me, like, you know, this deal I have right now with Jeff Mosing, you know, we're on year number eight. It's been just a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what a crazy opportunity to really, I guess, I'm Andy and I are probably two of the only guys in the paddock that have been with someone for such a long yeah. period of time yeah. that I can think of. And... um you know, I tell him every time he says anything about if we should keep going. Jeff Mosing here. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Mosing. Who's kind of your, your sugar daddy, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? Totally. And Teammate, gentleman driver. <laughs> sugar daddy. 
he, I tell him every time, I'm like, if you are not having fun, we should stop doing mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Like, my goal with all of my clients that I coach and race with is, is like, you guys better be having fun mm-hmm. because this is too expensive and too big a time commitment. So that's, that's the thing. Like, in the last few years, even though, like, in with the Mercedes, we've had some frustration. I've had a ton of fun yeah. racing in that car yeah. and in the series. And like, I just know it's better than sitting at home watching it on TV. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. Well, we can get into Jeff, but just kind of back on the, the career history. So you start doing the, the Mazda stuff, it starts working out. You're coaching at the Pano School. At what point does the Pano School go away? So the Pano School did go away in 07. Yeah. And which is, and then 08 is when I transitioned out here, and that's when all the Mazda stuff came together. Right. So really the move out here was kind of taking that big gamble on the Mazda thing panning out. So right. that okay. all didn't happen until 08. I didn't have anything really to fall back on at that point. I was kind of solo out here. So in other words, so 07 as the Pano School fiddle, it starts to kind of fizzle. There's nothing going for you, basically, uh, in, in terms of career stuff. Right. So there's this weird Mazda deal that you can maybe you can coach and get to race on the occasional weekend. It requires moving out basically to the Texas area. Yep. But what the hell else are you doing? So you may as well. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that was that that was that leap of faith. Right. That was like, I need to change something in my life. I need to try something. I've got an opportunity. I better take this and, and try and do what I can with it, which is part of the reason too for the, the like the diet change in that i was just like i mean i, I better what is the something. diet change i'm sorry i don't oh i i became vegetarian in 07 in 08 oh wait yeah. yeah. kind of turn this into a big picture for uh for fans panos goes away it gets absorbed by skip barber you see the writing on the wall it's probably not what you want to do you've got this opportunity to go out and bust your ass in this this miata cup mx5 thing out in texas to an extent, I would argue that if you'd stayed with the Skip Barger program, it probably would have been more comfortable. You could stay where you lived. You knew the life out there. Would you be where you are now had you stayed? No way. No way. <laughs> no, I mean, it was definitely the biggest. I'm actually really conservative when it comes to taking risks on things, which you wouldn't think in the race car. But um, <laughs> Not at all. outside of the car, I am very conservative and so like it took a lot of just like internal prodding and pushing and just trying to reassure myself that i needed to try something different you had no family out here right everything but and you do have family in georgia yeah my whole family lives in atlanta area yeah yeah so abandon your family and was this like a concrete here's what you're gonna get paid if you come to texas kind of thing or was it like come out here let's figure it out yeah let's figure it out no goddamn plan at all right Yeah. yeah there was and so um, I remember I couldn't sell my house right away, so mm-hmm. I rented it to Chris mm-hmm. Meredith mm-hmm. and Doug Smith, a mm-hmm. couple guys that worked at um, Panos and then Skip Barber. And, uh, yeah, so I did have that little bit of an That's escape lot, plan yeah, <laughs> right, that yeah, I could yeah. always go back to my house in Atlanta. But, I mean, and you got to recognize, too, like all my friends, everyone was there. My whole adult life was, was in Atlanta. But, um, well, you the, know. the thing we've, I mean, the number one thing we've learned is everyone starts on a con, but the number <laughs> the number two thing that we see recurring is no backup plan. Yeah, it yeah. seems like no backup plan is kind of the key to success, which mm-hmm. is so counterintuitive to how anyone is raised. Yeah, but uh, but you made it work. Yeah, and, and so that's probably where all the convincing came from, right? And just trying to put mm-hmm. some reassurance and like, there's got to be a way this is going to work, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just evaluating like, okay, what's the worst case scenario here, right? I, I tank. I do crawl back to Atlanta. I go work at a dealership. I do something, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not the end of the world, right? It, to yeah. me, it's a first world problem. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you want to be a race car driver. You want to make a career at it. But it, 
if that doesn't happen, then maybe that's not what you should be doing, right? So, and I hate, I'm not trying to sound all high and mighty 20, you know, looking back on it, thinking hindsight's 2020, but it's like, it really, in the end, I did kind of, I was getting to that point, you know, I was 33 at that point in my life, right? So I'm to that age where I'm starting to kind of understand like, okay, these are the things that are really important in life. And, you know, give this one more try. And if this doesn't work, then, you know, you'll figure something else out. Maybe it, it, some other career is going to be best for you. Yeah. So, so where did you meet your, uh, your lady? <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, so. Panos Classroom at Red Atlanta. At Red Atlanta, we did a bunch of consumer programs. And uh, Saab actually had a program that we did, which there's a bunch of funny stories from that. The Saab Arrow Academy. The Saab Arrow Academy. And if you bought or leased a Saab Arrow, which was their top-of-the-line car. What year? This was in it, – it ran from, like, 99 to 2008. Yeah. It was, yeah, like, yeah. a almost a 10-year program. The fact that you met your wife on a Saab program is insane because she's so normal and awesome and most of those people were really just odd birds that we were like what draws you to this car because they were not good this will this sounds terrible but we had <laughs> like all these signs of where the sob school was and where you yeah, got to park yeah, and everything yeah and so at road atlanta you pull up to the main entrance and there's like parking here sub school this yeah. that and the other and then there was the main gate to get into the track itself so we're at the main gate and this vehicle pulls up and it was a Toyota RAV4 Highlander. Apparently I, I got it wrong per Tila, but, and there's this very attractive woman in there and she's asking the gate guard where she needs to go. And we're like, you gotta go right here. <laughs> Follow the signs. <laughs> Follow the signs. Really obvious signs. We gotta <laughs> park you here. But, um, so we, I remember being like, oh, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. That's not, she's not here for the SOB program. Right, yeah. That's like, not what normal. Is she, somebody must've tricked her. And yeah. so, um, Sure enough, she, she starts the program, and we do that. And, uh, yeah, over the next two days, I mean, we're working this program, and she seems really cool. She's actually always had manual cars her whole life. Yeah, yeah. The reason she got the Saab is she wanted a BMW wagon, but they couldn't get her a manual. So then she went to get a Mercedes wagon, but they didn't have a manual. Yeah. And so finally someone's like, oh, Saab has a manual in their wagon. Yeah. She just loves manual wagons. Like yeah, She has right. a BMW manual wagon right now that's, like, super hard to find car. Yeah. And uh, so – she goes and they like, oh yeah, we can have one here in two days. Yeah. So she no buys, one buys these. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So and she, she didn't really you know understand what the brand was, and well, I mean she didn't know what she was getting into because right. even at the school she was like, man, those people were really weird. Yeah, thank God I'm not one of them. <laughs> it's a good thing you probably have a hundred thousand sob listeners on this uh, oh, podcast. Dude, I don't care. They can all come at me. But um, yeah. So well, so here's 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 my my because uh, I um, what's the move? Well, what's it's it's actually not what's the move. What's the culture? So because in my head, I'm imagining a bunch of like late twenties, thirty something driver coaches, right? Everyone's all egos, still trying to prove that they can make it. I have to assume any time, especially if a girl comes who's not only attractive, but if she's like driving manuals and stuff like, like she's probably cool as. I have to think it becomes this dumb, everyone's trying to peacock in front of them. Kind oh, of yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. We had to sign some kind of stuff. <laughs> like, just in general, to, to be at a school, to, like, we won't hit on every female that comes yeah, through. Yeah, that happened in, like, 03. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never signed anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, it was like that for also for customers. Like, you, like, you're not supposed to come yeah. find your future guy. Oh, to go find a, 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 go find a, a No leg humping. 
And that's actually what other schools were kind of known for, or for like right. all they were doing. And that's why we were told not to. And weirdly, several people came out of the program, like Tracy Crone, Patrick Dempsey. But eh, that's not the point. Taffel. Uh, what's that? <laughs> Taffel. Yeah, Jim Taffel. Right. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Well, two of those worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we were we, we were generally pretty cool about it. But you and Tila started talking really quickly uh, on the program, and I, I think you and I were working together on that deal. And so yeah. I'm just egging you on the whole time, like I, she definitely likes you. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely keep this going. Well, she actually had a boyfriend at that point. <laughs> She actually really liked all of us. Yeah. She thought it was cool. That it, so everyone was so nice. All of these guys were so nice. Here's to the me. thing: she she uh, she's an engineer. Yeah. So yeah. she had her chemistry degree, and uh, she worked at Texas Instruments. Mm-hmm. And she was used to kind of that yeah. just real, like, you know, dealing with engineers all day long, right? So it was probably pretty mundane for her. Yeah. And here she comes to this program where there's all these people that are like just partying, having a good time. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. definitely where we were at. I'm yeah. sure we weren't even sober during those <laughs> no, days. I, I highly doubt it. And um, so she thought it was really cool that there was a group of people that were actually working together that had a similar interest and, and were having so much fun. So when she left, I, I asked for a number and she seemed very hesitant. And I, my thinking was I, I'd found out that she had a, a boyfriend cause he was, they would stay at Chateau Alain. And so he was there and he was golfing oh, while she was at yeah. the program. Yeah. And oh, she did better. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so she, um, I, I got her number and I was thinking, well, you know, she's a cool chick. She lives in Dallas. I'm just been traveling out there. So maybe she'll have some nice friends too or whatever it is. Right. And um, so it was about a week after she pinged me and uh, had sent an email and I'll never forget like she sent me an email I didn't respond and then I get a text she pinged you yes and I said I get a text her. from her I like this and I said to Ryan I said guess what <laughs> <laughs> on the radio literally yeah. during the program I was like I just got a text from the girl from Dallas <laughs> and he's laughing now, at this point where was your life Dallas situation going I mean, I was already coming out here. Okay, so yeah. you'd already committed yeah. to coming out. Yeah. So she wasn't yeah. like an extra incentive or anything like that. You were nah, always it was kind of like the last yeah. bit yeah. that sealed the yeah. deal. Of like, yeah. But I, honestly... Now, how is she with that? Like, oh, well, I just happen to be going to Dallas now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I told her I was traveling <laughs> out to Dallas a lot. And uh, that's, you know, when we met. And in all fairness, like the first month and a half we corresponded, it was very casual because yeah. she was kind of... She had been in a seven-year relationship with someone that just was not going anywhere i yeah. mean they literally were on opposite lives and um so i was very cautious too because i'm like oh great i'm the rebound so yeah right this isn't yeah. gonna work yeah. long term yeah so i let her take her time and it took a few months before we actually started dating and uh yeah i mean we did we really did take it pretty slow mm-hmm. in the beginning and i'd been married once before so you know everyone needs a starter wife but i mean i just, <laughs> just slide that in there that yeah. now. slide that in there <laughs> i uh <laughs> I've been married once before, so I was really hesitant to get married again. And yeah. so it was more one of those deals where after we had dated so long and things were just so easy yeah. and so good, yeah. that I was like, you know what? This is a really good deal. And I, I think I can <laughs> easily spend the rest of my life with this does person. Does she like yeah. being called a good deal? Yeah. <laughs> I can see her actually being like, on paper, I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So so back to you. So you moved. So... so my understanding of your career was the Mazda stuff was really, as a sort of competitive pro driver, that's really what started putting you on the map. Yeah, the Mazda. So Mazda had started this ladder system in 06 where, you know, we, we mentioned it, but if you won Spec Miata, you got a deal on MX-5 Cup. If yeah. you won MX-5 Cup, then they actually paid for you to run in World Challenge, and they had a factory team, TriPoint Motorsport. Yeah. 
I was out of California. Uh, Randy Popst and Jeff Altenberg had driven for him in the early 2000s, yeah. and then Charles Espinlaub was there. Jason Saney had won the MX-5 Cup the year before, so he drove with them in 08. And then so in 09, I went there and I drove with Charles and Jason, which at that point were two of my best friends. Yeah. And so that was... And this is your path. Like, if this doesn't work, it's just not happening. Yeah, well, at that point, though, Mazda was paying for everything. Yeah, right, so right. I was yeah. like, this was, I already was getting like ride this out. my goal. And, yeah. and as a young guy in motorsport, I thrived on the British touring car thing in the late yeah. 80s, early 90s. I mean, yeah. that was the best racing period. And so I wanted really to run touring cars that was my only goal yeah i wanted to drive touring cars and so when i got to do that in 09 i was like big check mark yeah and i was I'm like good. i don't care what happens after this right okay. i mean i want to do well but i really don't care and so the 09 season was a little bit rocky it was up and down i actually ended up pd cunningham was one of my heroes growing up because i just love street stock racing sports car racing and I watched him run with Hondas, and I owned so many Hondas. I, I just, I mean, I still to this day have a, a big place in my heart for Hondas, and uh, my brother's still big into the Hondas. He has a bunch of them. But um, so point being is, like, I just loved Petey. I thought he was the man. And so when I got the World Challenge, the second, the third race weekend I ever did was at Mosport, and I had a really good start to a race. I, I had qualified on pole, but they would do a coin flip. Yeah. And if the flip went wrong... <laughs> He started fifth. They re, so they, the top five reverted. They inverted yeah, the field. Yeah. So I started fifth, and uh, I was on a tear. I was determined. And so by the end of lap one, Petey was leading down the back straightaway at Mosport. Dumbest move ever. But I try, and I pass him on the outside of turn eight. Ooh, and uh, fast. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it it worked until we got to the break point until for nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he had a moment, and he moved out. And when he did, he tagged me, and that spun me around. And right. so, and then like when I saw him after, he's like, "Well, oh, I didn't mean to," and he probably didn't, but I was determined that he did. He did it on <laughs> purpose, right? So for the rest of the season, he was like my nemesis, and so. I told him at that point I wasn't going to let him win the championship. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was the wrong focus to have. Yeah, but absolutely. So that kind of summed up my 09 season and World Challenge. And the thing you have to understand with me is I'm one of those people, I try and race everyone hard, but I also really, really try to race everyone as clean as possible. And you'll rarely see me have just incidental contact with right. someone. But you're also, you're not quite established. You don't have any money. Like if this doesn't go well, that's it. Yeah, but so. I'm saying this is me in general. I yeah. mean, even to this day. And so if someone does that to me, I retaliate. <laughs> and I mean, Sports yeah. car really likes that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's just the way I am. And so, right. I mean, even this last weekend, I had a situation like that. But point being is, like, I've just always been that way. If someone right. doesn't race me clean, then I'm like, screw them. I'm not going to race them clean. Yeah. But so after shame you barely know the lead official. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I get drive-throughs all the time. Yeah. yeah it's not been going great. <laughs> yeah. It's a conversation for later, but I actually have a question about that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, after 09, though, I was really kind of in the Mazda program. And they, anytime I couldn't find something, they really stepped up and helped me continue. They so, really did. Yeah. In That's 10 cool. and in 11, they paid for me to drive with Freedom Autosport in the Mazda Speed 3. That's awesome. So I ran a couple of races. And with, the Continental Tire Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, Continental yeah. Tire Series so with Randy. In other words, Freedom was looking for a gentleman driver in Mazda and said, said, well, how about Eric? Yeah. Well, so in 2010, they put Popes and I yeah. together in, in the car because that was the quote-unquote development year. Yeah. We so did a couple races and the car was really bad. It's so, so the Challenge Series was able to do it without ratings. Huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Weird. And yeah. AMs could still compete. <laughs> yeah, still, yeah. yeah, we got beat by a lot of AMs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 11, um, same deal. They put me in with Brad Rampelberg, who had won the Mazda Championship in, Sp in MX-5 Cup the year before. So they had two guys they were paying for. Uh, I mean, we were actually factory-paid guys, really. Yeah. 
running in SD. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, which I know is totally not kosher by the rules now. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But those were great opportunities. And that's when I really started getting, you know, my time in, in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge yeah. uh, was all because of Mazda. And that, I think, is what really helped me solidify my transition out of being a club guy into a, like a, a, pro, paid, a proper national series. Paid pro, pro yeah. yeah. And the way I leveraged it was, look, guys, I'm coaching, and this is my day rate when I coach. If I'm here, I need to be paid at least this much, you know, because if not, I can go work and make that money. Yeah. And I just took that approach to it. And uh, and you're at an age where you kind of can't screw around with that. So, yeah. yeah. And that, that was really the, the turning point. So, I mean, that Mazda program to me was like everything that really helped solidify my, my transition out here to Texas and, and just get me that opportunity in pro racing. So... Uh we were talking about your wife earlier and we were talking about Charles Esmolab and we sat down with Charles a couple of years ago and talked about one of the uh, infamous yeah. New Year's Eve parties. I love how you're losing your <laughs> right now. And uh, <laughs> I knew this was going to come up today. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we're talking about the edit and I'm like, yeah, we should probably, you know, probably have that blocked out because I don't know how Tila, I don't know if she knows the story. I don't know like what dirt's available. Specifically what story are we talking about? So there was a big party at Charles' house Yeah, and you guys were lighting off fireworks and yeah. If you listen to the Charles Espin Lava episode, there's a story about a guy with a lady Inside a in van. a van, <laughs> and they're having their fun, and you guys start shooting fireworks at the van. Unbeknownst to Gunner and I, who are shooting Roman candles and bottle rockets up the exhaust of this van for no reason whatsoever, yeah. uh, two people jump up in the window and then kind of start laughing, and we're like, oh! And, and we took care of that person by bleeping their name out so their wife might not hear it later since it was years before you guys met, and it's just old stories. And then what happened, Eric? Yeah, so we're actually driving to Atlanta, and I believe it was Christmas time when you guys released that. And so we're listening to the Charles <laughs> podcast. And uh, so sure enough, yeah, that story comes up, and we're in the car. And Tila, my wife, looks over at me, and she says, uh, so who was that that was in the van with their girlfriend? And I said, who do you think that was? <laughs> and she just starts laughing. And I said, of course, it was me. Yeah. And uh, actually, honestly, it was funny. She just thought it was the most funny thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, No, I mean, that's, again, marriage number two. That's the <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, you kind of learn, you know, what, what, what you want in a marriage yeah. and the people that you need to be around in your life. And so... She's totally cool with stuff like I'll that. I'll still back up the bleep because by her asking, that meant she invited the opportunity yeah, to know. Right, yeah, yeah. Whereas if she just heard it yeah. without the option. Yeah, she'd be like, oh. Yeah, she yeah. might have been more mad, yeah. but she, she uh, allowed I think she herself to laughed. I, I, I Make mean, us feel better, goddammit. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> you took a lot of time on that. Edit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Add another hour. Try to save your marriage. Trying to save you. <laughs> this is what I get for it. Added an hour. I, I was get, in the I past. get mediocre chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. At least they had chicken. Yep. So uh, you might not like this part. I reached out to some friends and family of yours, yeah, and I just said, "Hey, can you give us like uh, s some like stories or some one-liners or whatever?" And so I reached out to a longtime friend of yours, Roman Gulikowski, yep, who great guy. He uh, all he wrote back was the farmer's fence was a good one, yep, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And he said he had a helmet on that he found in the back seat of your car randomly, and then he gave me no other context. Yeah, so I had a little. Uh, Corolla GTS, one okay. of the 8086, yeah, right? Now that right. thing's worth the mint. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had this road. So we all lived uh, in Lawrenceville, just south of Mala, Georgia. Like Mala, Georgia was literally dirt roads when yeah. uh, we were yeah, growing up trees. in that area. Yep. So if you go, if anyone goes to Red Atlanta, they know where Mala, Georgia is. They stay in Buford. 
that area. And um, so we had this road that literally was just like Road Atlanta. It was huge elevation, really twisty. Yeah. We would race down it after school every day. And so a few years after that, I had moved away, but Roman and my buddy Jason, they still lived in that neighborhood where we grew up high school. So I was hanging out with them and we were probably like 19 or 20. So, um, actually probably 20 or 21 because I, uh, I had my racing helmet in the car. <laughs> I just started racing and we decided we're going to haul ass down that road and it's at night. And so I'm tearing down the road and then the last two corners were like these 90 degree corners and i just overcook it big time <laughs> and so we end up going straight off right. i like lock up the brakes right. go straight off we fly through a, a wood fence and into this pasture and my other buddy starts yelling cows and there's cows everywhere and we're trying to avoid all these cows and meanwhile roman who was in the back seat for some probably unforeseen reason but anyway he he had happened to put my helmet on yeah. while we were going down this road he knew some shit was going down right and uh so we in the car around and then i'm like driving back and like there was a little tree we drove over so then we can't get out right and so i'm like shit so i get a run and start and i go back over the small tree the headlights or the pop-up headlights are all pointing in the air yeah, and the thing's yeah. just messed up and as we're getting on the road i'll never forget this i know this sounds like a made-up story but we're getting on the road there's this little house on the inside of that corner and there's an old guy with his hat on on the rocking chair just looking at us <laughs> like you idiots <laughs> so yeah that uh, was uh and actually we went back later and we literally missed a telephone pole by like 10 feet or yeah, something right right i will tell you that was like the defining moment in my street driving life where i was like i am never going 100 percent on the street again yeah like, yeah yeah i just that that told me yeah. <laughs> i feel like i got my freebie there. absolutely yeah so yeah we also asked sarah foster your sister uh, if she had anything and she was really embarrassed and nervous to tell us this, but does the, like we're sponsored by Acura. Does Acura legend mean anything oh, to you? Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah. My mom <laughs> had an Acura legend. So bo both my parents had Acuras. Um, we appreciate their business. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I told you we were a Honda family. Yeah. So I remember we, we lived in Detroit when my dad got this Acura. Sure. Yeah. And, um, Oh yeah. yeah that's, risky. That. that's a cardinal sin. Yeah. yeah. Well, my grandfather, you know, he worked at GM for 45 years and we always joked that we never owned them because we heard all the horror stories. Yeah. Right. You knew not to. I know what's in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, my dad, started buying hondas and mazdas probably in two i'm sorry in 1982 yeah, or so yeah. and uh so in 87 86 when the acuras came out i remember we went and looked at him and then in 87 he got my mom an acura legend and it was a manual of course and so my very first car was an opal mana yeah. 75 opal mana i mean it, it was this german car right and it, it was it was a great little car but within like a month or so i blew the motor up in it because <laughs> It didn't have a tack in it, and my dad had raced one, right? And I'd be like, hey, what speed did you should shift out of second gear and right, third gear? Right. And so he's like, second gear, you can't go above 52 miles an hour. I remember always being like 60 in second <laughs> and just, I don't know why the motor blew up in it. Yeah, it's but, weird. Uh, <laughs> Some of the factory. Yeah. So I'd blown the motor up in my, in my Opal, and so I was actually working at a little drugstore in Lawrenceville, and uh, one night I'm coming home, and, you know, never give your teenage kid your keys to your Acura and <laughs> just tearing down this road right yeah, and yeah. I'm like I don't even remember how fast I was going and it's like crest a hill 
there's a car up ahead and I'm like getting on the brakes pretty hard while it's catching a car ahead of it. Okay. And as it gets there, it gets on the brakes, but now I'm like way committed and I'm too stupid to think about any other option. Yeah, I just right. pile on the back of Whoa. this car. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one was a good one because I was like literally 16 in a month or 16 and two months old. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm shaking and, uh, we pull over the cops come and everything. And like, I remember that the cops asking me if I got my license at Kmart or something. Oh, <laughs> oh, was, uh, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there were many things that early in my <laughs> driving career that indicated I probably shouldn't try and be a race car driver. <laughs> so after they fixed the Acura, were you allowed to drive it again? Oh, you got two parts to this question. So this like, one He's like, oh, you got jokes. Okay, yeah. you got jokes. So the Acura gets fixed, and I'm not allowed to drive it. And finally, this is like six months later, I, uh, I'm going to get pizza. And they're like, drive the Acura. And I'm like, really uh, nervous. Yeah. So I literally am just like driving the speed limit everywhere. Yeah. Everything's good. So there's a two-lane road. I can't even remember what road it is now. It was probably Lawrenceville Swanee Road or something. Yeah. But it was really just a two-lane at that point. And so I'm waiting to cross it. And I'm like, oh, all right. And I go to cross and the, as this truck goes by. And it had a big hay trailer. And I'm sure in Georgia, people that live in Georgia see this. They have yeah. these like 40-foot hay trailers. Yeah. This thing has no lights on it or anything. So I just barely clip the end of it. Oh. I see it and I hit the brake and it rips the fender off the car and <laughs> right away. Yeah. And so of course my dad like just <laughs> is so pissed. And he thinks I'm like just out there hot dogging. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean I of course he's like, what are you doing? Why are you driving that thing so fast? Well, yeah. I'm like, I didn't do anything. But yeah, that was that one I mean that one I'll take to the grave of like I, I couldn't have done anything different. Right. But right. It was a shit deal. I'm sure everyone, even my family, thinks because at that point I was driving like a yeah, total right, idiot yeah, on yeah. the streets. Of course, all the time. we all do that when we start out. Yeah. You know? So that that was the worst situation ever. <laughs> <laughs> Everything happens in twos for me. Jail twice. Women. Accurate twice. Women. Yeah. yeah. Wives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you win the championship twice? In ST. Yeah. 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 There you go. Oh damn it! That's why I can't win another championship. Yeah, you screwed yourself. <laughs> you got to move up to another class. Yeah. 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 So. When I uh, played Little League soccer, uh, for a couple of years, my dad was the coach. And I hated it. And here's why. Um, I felt like he would yell at me more than any other kid because he could, and he probably wanted to not show bias. You're incredibly close with Bill Barfield, the race director. Right. Do you feel like maybe you get more kind of stringent behavior from him because he wants to prove that he's not biased towards seeing you succeed? I don't think so. I feel like... But in the moment when you get a penalty, do you think that? I mean, there's been... <laughs> you could say that here at lunch. I would say the the only times I've had anything for Bo was... One was completely out of his control. Uh, it was at VIR when it rained in 2016, I think. 15, yeah. 15, whenever it poured rain. Yeah. And, Is that uh, when we went one, two? Well, on track, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then afterwards, they told us that uh, Leah Fouge had, uh, they had thought oh, he was a yeah, lot yeah, down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, part of my deal, Jeff's extremely gracious uh, with, with me driving for him, and he actually gives me prize money. The prize money. Yeah. 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 And oh, wow. yeah. Uh, so 
again, it comes down to screwing with my money, right? Yeah. But uh, so money. after the race, they tell us uh, we thought we were clearly in second. I totally let him buy because he was a lot down, down, quote yeah. unquote. And uh, so then we get to the result, and they're like, "Oh, you're third. And that was like a three or four thousand dollar difference for me. Yeah, yeah. right. Right. And uh, I mean. Now I, I make good money doing the coaching and stuff, so it's not like it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago for me. Right. But still, it's, it's still money's three money, or four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. Principle. No one's going to turn that down. I take yeah. my stimulus check every time I get it. That's it. So, <laughs> that's several no, he, no, he doesn't. Buys. He's kidding. He's kidding. <laughs> Don't tweet him. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I, um, but, but that's not race officiating, though. That's just scorekeeping. No, but yeah. I, I was just like, come on, you guys got to do something yeah, about do this, your job, and yeah, yeah. And, and and let us know. Like, yep. if you already knew this was a thing, tell me. Um, the only other issue uh, we've really chat about was the last year at Mid-Ohio when Marcelli ran me off at the exit. But, I mean, here's the thing. I I probably was really looking for a reach of something that I was trying to hang on on the outside of the of the keyhole there. But he did know I was there. And I had obviously just repassed him a few times, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. people have seen on the highlights, uh, into turn four. So I felt like I was established there. But usually that's the only things we really come across. I don't feel like any of my um, penalties I've gotten from him have been malicious. I feel like a few times it's like, hey, you didn't see the first part of why this happened. Because, again, if I if I hit someone, it's because they hit me already. And right. that doesn't mean I did the right response to it. Yeah. But, again, like someone can rough me up a little. And usually I try and just give them a nudge back. And sometimes it's ended up being more than I intended. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's just kind of how I am. Like. But it seems like there's a mutual appreciation for both jobs, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to just go in there and be like, you're an idiot, unless there's something he says or does that I really feel like. Yeah, Again, which is a re- reaction from how you get it the first time. Yeah. 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 You're not looking for a fight, but you'll give one back. I try and always evaluate what someone's job is and what their perspective is on things yeah. before I go have a conversation with them. Because I feel like in the end, if I can take that step back for a moment, it's going to probably be a more constructive conversation. Sure. I don't think uh, just going and yelling at someone is ever very constructive. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I've had those moments where I've gotten out of the car and I've yelled at people, but I think a lot of the time it's, I try and have a reasonable conversation to see if we can resolve it so it right. doesn't happen again. That's my right. goal every right. time. So you've mentioned uh, Jeff a couple times, but um, just to kind of segue over to that. So if you're very, very fortunate in your kind of position or Ryan's kind of position, if you don't have a factory ride, so to speak, uh, um, guys like Andy Lally who are linked up with John Potter forever or right. Nicky Johnson with Tracy Crone, you know, if you can find that well-to-do person that can keep you going for a few years, it's a very nice position to be in. It seems like that's what you have with Jeff Mosin. Right. I mean, Jeff Mosin uh, is, is one, just a super nice guy. I mean, everyone that knows him in the paddock knows he's one of the most caring, genuine guys that's there. And, uh, Obviously, he has the financial means to be there, so he's been extremely generous to a lot of us, really. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, given Mark Miller a few opportunities. Yep. Um, I mean, indirectly, I guess he's kind of helped you a little bit. He's, he's hired me to coach for him when you can't do it. Yeah. He tried to hire me, like, a couple of weeks ago because you were already busy on a weekend. Oh, yeah, he's, also, he's also donated, like, thousands and thousands of dollars to my charity efforts every year. Yeah. yeah. He's just a great guy in the paddock, and, I mean, he really tries to help a lot of yeah. the racers. He knows – that a lot of us really do need this money to, to be involved in the sport. And so... How'd you guys meet? Um, he had come up uh, to Fort Worth to do a test in MX-5 Cup. And uh, we first met there. And uh, it went well. And, I mean, we kind of linked up and clicked a little. And I had stayed at his house once or twice in Austin when I was down there, just kind of casually hanging out with him. But I wouldn't say we were, like, really good friends yeah, at that point. Yeah. We were just kind of 
casual. And what happened in 2009 uh, was I was in Atlanta coaching a guy in Spec Miata at uh, what was called the ARC, the American Road Racer Champions. It was basically a club-level championship race below the runoffs. Yeah. And so that guy ran Friday, Saturday, and wasn't doing anything on Sunday. And so I see Jeff Saturday afternoon while I'm coaching this other guy. Jeff was doing, wasn't doing the same race. He's like, hey, there's a three-hour enduro tomorrow. Why don't we drive together? And so I was like, hell yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah. So we do this enduro. He starts, and uh, I, I get in. I do, like, one short stint in the car, and he'd been doing really well. So I get back out of the car and put him in, and he's doing awesome. And so I'm, like, coaching him a little, and I'd given him some tips. And uh, with about 20 minutes to go, he's like, do, do we need to pit again? And I was like, no, no, we're good. And he's like, well, what place are we in? And I was like, you got a 20-second lead. And he's like, what? And he almost crashes right away. <laughs> <laughs> He'd never won a race in his life. Oh, right. And yeah, he's yeah. leading. Yeah. And, I mean, and like Blake Clemens and yeah. Jim Drago yeah. and a lot of these guys that are big names in Spec Miata were yeah. in this Enduro yeah. with us. Yeah. And so, and Jeff's pace was, was stellar. And uh, so we end up winning that race. Yeah. And I know that was the moment that kind of sparked something with him yeah. where he was like, man, I really like racing with you. And yeah. we just, we clicked, yeah. you know, and we got along. So fast forward to the end of 2013, he was out of, uh, he was jumping out of the Continental Sports Car Challenge because his um, teammate, uh, Jesse. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Jesse Clark? No. No. Uh, Combs. Combs. Yeah, that's Jesse right. Combs. Jesse Combs. Not, not the, not the. The drag racer, lady yeah, or whatever. No, just yeah, Jesse same, Combs. Same name, different spelling. Yeah, yeah, he he had decided he didn't want to race anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so I actually was trying to find. I had some people approach me that wanted to drive with me, and so I was trying to find a deal on ST, and uh, had actually talked to Murillo and the whole deal. And yeah. that, that whole thing fell apart, and within about a week, I start getting texts and phone calls from friends, and they're like, "Hey, congrats on your deal for next year." And I'm like, "What deal? What are you talking about? Yeah. I don't I don't have a deal for next yeah. year. It all fell apart." They're like, no, you're driving with Jeff, with Mosey. And I was like, really? <laughs> and then within a day or two, sure enough, he gives me a call. He's like, hey, man, we're going to do ST together next year. I'm <laughs> like, hell yeah. Okay. And that was how the whole thing started. Like, yeah. I had no. That adds up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that tracks. Yeah. 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 But that comes down to the whole thing, too. Like, I see a lot of these younger guys that are coaches, and they're just trying so hard to push their clients into letting yeah. them drive with them. Yeah. And I don't just, think just that's the right approach. No, you can't. Well, we yeah. so we beat this to death yeah. whenever whenever it comes up. But I mean, I look at Mosing as a perfect example. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's competitive. He wants to go out and win. But my read on him is he wants to have fun. <laughs> and uh, I'd imagine you wouldn't be around if you weren't fun for him. I agree on that. I yeah. mean, probably when we started, we had too much fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we've we've had a ton of fun, and I mean, that's the whole thing with that group. I mean. Yeah. Ken Marillo and those guys do an awesome job and they're the little team that could. Yeah. I mean, they're, I think the perception in the paddock is because, you know, we have an old trailer and we have pop-up tents and we did forever until IMSA mandated yeah. Yeah. a and proper awning yeah. uh, is that they, that they're not a serious team, but that's not the case at all. They spend their money on the team the and the equipment yeah. where they right. need it and right. on the cars. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, that whole team though, in the end, they're very serious, but we also always try and make sure we're having a good time there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, and I mean, it's not like I, like of the three of us, I know Jeff the, the least, but yeah. there, there's this, like, I don't know, is innocence the right word? There's this carefree innocence to that guy yeah. that I love being around him, even though I don't really know him. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like, you're older than all of us and having more fun than all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
He's a big kid. Yeah. He is yeah, a big yeah, kid yeah. And, yeah. and with a big heart like that. And, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, 90% of the weekends we share a room. Yeah. And it, it's like we end up watching Family Guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's why I was <laughs> like, you like guys that. do this every weekend? <laughs> no, nah, I mean, yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're constantly just laughing, having a good time. And, I mean, we, we look at the data and the video and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, honestly, half the time we're just you know, watching Team America <laughs> or <laughs> something stupid But my, like my that. point is if – and I'm not saying this is true, but if another couple hours of data might get you that extra 10th, there are some guys on the coaching level yeah. who would be and just be like, no, we need to focus here because this could be the difference between fifth versus fourth. Yeah, and, that, and then and Mosing's going to be like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, because yeah. it's not fun anymore. Yeah, that's, like, not and that's, that's my sure. point is, yeah. is you, I think you understand that balance really well. Well, and, and realistically, like we don't test. We're a team that just doesn't test. Right. And part of the problem was like we were so successful in ST – we kind of got away with it there, right. and uh, I, it kind of set a precedent. And now they're up to GT4. Yeah, now yeah. we're in GT4. I mean, it's just so competitive. And yeah. so the the not testing thing makes it a bit more of a challenge, but also at the same point is, like, if he's not serious to te- enough to test, then I'm not going to stress out over that last tenth of a second. Like, I'm just yeah. – we're going to do the best we can best with what we have, have available exactly. to us. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's kind of the way we've taken it, too, though. I mean, there's times where we get frustrated and times where we've had issues where, like – the car just isn't there because he he hasn't wanted to you know spend the yeah. time or money into developing it and i never fault him for that i mean to it's me i money. think it's pretty awesome that yeah. in the end uh mosin has established his boundary of what he's going to spend in sports car racing and he's spending way more now than he ever did when we ran st yeah and it's getting stupid expensive but um he we just do the best we can with what we've been given yeah so, so we've talked a lot about your past and what's currently going on i've always assumed if they can afford you and if you're dumb enough to do this to yourself you'll end up being like a race steward or a series manager because you have such a good understanding of the rules and what's real and what's not pretty fair yeah yeah you're exactly right you're a very fair person you don't play favorites do you what do you think what's the future lie for you Honestly, at this point, you know, I'm 47. I'll be 48 at the end of this year. And so I know I'm about to time out, right? (laughs) I mean, I guess the only saving grace is, like, I probably am going to be a bronze pretty soon. And I don't know if that's going to create some sort of opportunity. But realistically, I I personally don't even like really driving for a team where it's based on my driving. I like being there part of the team because someone wants me there. Like this deal with Murillo. You know, Mosey wants me there, and that's why I'm there. I get along great with Tim Prober and mm-hmm. Brent Mosin, who are in the other car, and so we all have a great synergy there, and you know that's why I'm there. Yeah. Um, but I really would like the coaching thing to continue a few more years. Um, I have some great clients that are doing PCA and HSR, mm-hmm. um, getting some cool, really cool opportunities there. And um, so once, if that stuff all dries up and within a few year period, then I may look into the the race director of some sort or, yeah. or being an official. Honestly, I was probably had a little more allure to it a few years back. I don't know. I've, I'm just I've probably gotten a little bit more distant about it right. because I feel like uh, at least and this this is going to sound terrible. I feel like on the IMSA side, they've kind of lost their way a little bit. Absolutely. Some, some things. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I feel bad for Bo because I mean, you know, he's had some scenarios where I know he's been in positions that he he doesn't like and uh, that they're making him do some things that he doesn't want to do or say. And I'm not going to go into any detail on that, right. but I, know what you're talking about. I don't know if I want to go down that path, if that's yeah. the way it really is now. I mean, yeah. I don't think it was that way five, 10 years ago. Right. Right. So, uh, 
we've talked a lot about sort of lesser known drivers or some of yeah. the some of the current ins and outs. If there was one driver sort of in today's paddock that you just just do not ever want to be on the same track with. Yeah, I mean that's actually pretty easy. Oh. Yeah. It's Tane Cameron. Really? Yeah. All right. Well I would say uh some advice that we don't normally get from drivers is how to be a good coach. And yep. since I think you're probably the best coach in sports car racing, uh, what are what is good coaching advice? And this happens to me a lot where I get like club guys that are starting to like get some success or whatever, and they'll get asked to coach, but they've never set a rate. They've never you know known right. if they should or shouldn't ride in the passenger seat and things like that. So I was wondering if you could give like a coach advice. Yeah, the best advice I can give for the coaching thing, first off, is don't ride with anyone. That's uh, that's just dangerous and it's a distraction in my opinion. And so how do you combat that you need to really learn data yeah and the data and the video is so important so if nowadays. you're in a street car though and it doesn't have data what would you recommend well that's the thing though almost all the new street cars have uh, obd2 on them and a lot of the new data systems actually have where you can plug uh, into the obd2 port and get a lot of the real-time data yeah but even just a, a name solo or one of those types of units um, where it's just even getting GPS and lateral G and yeah. that, if you really start to look at data, you can quickly identify key points of, uh, of problems for a driver and really help them yeah. through that part. So well, at that entry level of a thing, you're not looking for hundreds of a second, yeah. right? You're looking yeah. for just basic technique. And right. The right. GPS-based system sometimes can be a little quirky and you might get some discrepancy in some areas where it overlays. But, you know, what I do always is I have a baseline lap and it might be something I've done or just their best lap of the weekend. Yeah. And then I'll pull up the next two or three fastest laps and overlay them. And I'm just looking for trends, right? Yeah, right. And when I see a trend, then I identify those areas. And uh, I you know, I found out about data in 1998 when I started at the Pano School. We actually had a Pi System 2 dash yep. on the cars. Yep. And it was this funky LCD screen with yeah. two buttons on it. Yeah. And it was logging like wheel speed. And if you had a really good car, it might have steering angle, yeah. throttle position. And I don't even think we had a brake sensor. No, nah, it had RPM. Yeah, it had yeah. RPM. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how I started looking at data. But as soon as I saw that, like it, it hooked me immediately. And I realized like this is the future of motorsport. I mean, Tony Kester is a guy that uh, raced professionally for years and he had a data system. Uh, it was called data sport in like the mid eighties. Yeah. And at that point they would put this box in the car and it just recorded the whole session. And then they would just try and figure it out from there. Yeah. But, right. Like I remember him making a living doing that and how powerful he said it was. So when I saw the data stuff, I, I hooked onto that. And yeah. I think anyone that wants to be a coach and, and a driver really needs to learn how to use that stuff. Yeah. How about, but uh, to close it out, you, didn't you meet Bo at the mall? Yeah. Is that, yeah, no, well, before the Gwinnett Place Mall, right? Yep. Yeah, so they met at the mall as teenagers oh, playing. Right. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. played that uh, race, race driving. driving. Race driving, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which you later bought. Yeah, so in 1992, I was uh, in high school, senior year of high school. I was working at Spencer Gifts at Gwinnett Place Mall, Yeah. Uh, which was kind of the premier mall in northeast Atlanta at that point in time, which I know it's not now. But, yeah. Um, they use it for Stranger Things 2 and 3 or whatever. Oh, like it, It's the mall in Stranger Things, yeah, because oh. it's like nothing else going on you there. You know, I thought the food court looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, I got my heart broken in there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love that chick at Great America Cookie Company. <laughs> um, <laughs> she didn't even know my name. That was very specific. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, I would worked at Spencer Gifts, and so usually I'd get an hour-long lunch break, and uh, there was an arcade up 
upstairs from there. And when I would go in there, if Bo was on the, which I didn't even know Bo at all, yeah. right? If I saw this guy, Sandy blonde-haired guy on there, which I found out was Bo, if he was on it, I would just be pissed because I knew I wasn't going to get to play and I would leave. Yeah. yeah. But oh, is it one of these things where it's like if you hit a certain checkpoint, you get the game advances for another lap Yeah, or it, it like was that. crazy. You had to be actually really good at it because there were about four people in the Atlanta area, maybe three people that yeah. could just play for hours on it. Like it was right. it was 75 cents, which was really but expensive. Say, it's one of these then. arcade games where like you have to hit a certain threshold time and if you don't, then you have to put another 50 cents in or whatever. Well, it would just end, right? So okay. if you didn't, and so if you were good enough on your three quarters and you were fast enough, you I mean, you had to bang out consistent laps yeah. that were under a certain threshold and again, there were only a couple of us that could do it. So if I walked in there and I saw Bo on it, I'm like, Shit, that guy's just going to do lap after lap after lap. So I, I would leave and then vice versa. But he would always put Bo Nose Racing on there because that's when Bo Jackson was kind of the uh, as his name on the, on the Yeah, side. but it was D-E-A-U-X, Bo Jackson, right? kids. Yeah. What's <laughs> a, a multi-sport athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Nose was a marketing guy. Uh, yeah. So yeah. He, would, he would do that and uh, – yeah, so it came down to finally at some point I'm like, okay, who is this guy? And so right. it was funny though because we're both teenagers. We both kind of be like, hey, what's up? Like, <laughs> no, never really. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was more of a competition, yeah. and which then later led on to when we kind of ended up at dinner at the same place a year or two later. It's like, oh, and then we started <laughs> chatting, and of course we hit it off like you're huge the kid I hit at the arcade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that was, is out of a movie right there. Yeah, that's just yeah. two seventeen-year-old idiots. Like, that's the foundation of the movie Step Brothers. Yeah, yeah right, <laughs> yeah. right. So I find it hilarious that I mean that you're you said you're forty-seven. Yeah. So you've known this guy like you said like damn near thirty years. Yeah. But the first and you worked together, you lived together eventually. Yeah. But you literally met because you both would go to the one race car simulator game. That existed, and when you'd see each other, you'd be like, "Oh God, that was my rival." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarre. All right. Um, well, I guess your uncle Bruce has a check. Yeah, thanks to Continental Tire for the dinner. It was great. It was lunch. Lunch, dinner. All the they same. can they can see behind the curtain on the show. Yeah. Oh, they yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, certain yeah. curtains. Yeah, thanks oh. to Continental Tire for the lunch. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the dulcet tones of Eric Foss. Want to give a special thank out to Kien Tong, sorry if I'm butchering that, who uh, wrote us on the website and, and gave us a suggestion. We're going to close it out with Father Texas by Bird Talker. Tells me where and when to go He's a savior, a liturgy man He's a stickler and a soul Longer shove it down your throat A holy answer man He says, obey and I love you Now I'm doing just to prove And I watch him now to fear Oh, but the devil's done ooh, 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 ooh. 
It's a lie. 